Uh, we'll work on that song with you guys. <laughs> actually, Karl Barth, actually, under the great theologian Karl Barth, you may not know him or not, uh, earliest 20th century, uh, his one thing he said, like, oh, when I asked him, what is the one thing you know? He says, Jesus loves me, for this I know, for the Bible tells me so. When you break it all down, the most fundamental thing that you ought to know in the gospel is that Jesus loves me. And how do we know that? Is the scripture tells us so. Alan Fadley in his book, Un- A Unhurried Life, tells this parable of two servants. There was once a king that had these two servants. One of the servants, for fear of not pleasing his master, rose early each morning and hurried along to do all the things that he believed the king wanted done. He didn't want to bother the king with questions about what the work was. Instead, he hurried from project to project each morning until late at night. The other servant was eager to please his master and would rise early early as well. But he would take a few moments to go to the king, ask him what he wished for the day and what he wanted him to do. Only after such consultation did the servant step into the work of the day. He completed his works, and the king was pleased and expressed that pleasure to him. The busy servant may have gotten a lot of work done, even before the inquiring servant actually asked the king. But which of them was doing the will of the master? Which of them was pleasing him. What work is the Lord requiring of you? What work that you're doing is actually pleasing the Lord? And how do you know if it's pleasing him? Jesus, still in the temple, still at the Feast of the Tabernacles, having just proclaimed, right, at, at, these, at these big festivities that he is, if anyone thirsts, let him come drink from him, and whoever believes in him, that's out of the heart, out of their heart will flow rivers of living waters. And also he said, I am the light of the world in the midst of this. In this midst of this proclamation of his divinity, Jesus is saying that he is God, that he is their salvation for people. He offers an invitation. He says, believe in me. Follow me. I will satisfy you. I will bring you light and life in this world of darkness. In people's resistance to his claim about who he is, in his, their resistance to his, his invitation, Jesus describes in this passage a two paradigms of two different realms, two different rules, two different reigns on how the things work. In John 8, 21, 23, he says, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. 
Jesus isn't differentiating between a spiritual world and a physical world. I want you to really understand it. He's not saying, hey, I am from a spiritual world and you are from a physical world. He's not doing that. In fact, Scripture doesn't do that at all. Scripture doesn't separate a spiritual and physical world. Those worlds are always connected. We, we do this in our modern world. We separate them. We live in, in a physical world. We know it. And then sometimes we will engage in a spiritual world. But those things are not always interconnected for us in our minds. The reality is they are always interconnected. Scripture doesn't never separates those realities. So Jesus isn't separating them either. D.A. Carlson uh, says in his commentary, when he says, of this world, when Jesus says, of this world, he's mean this fallen moral order and conscious rebellion against its creator. So uh, this kind of concept of when Jesus said of this world is that you are of this world. You are of this order, this rule that is a a conscious rebellion against its creator and king and ruler. This is the order and realm that you are in. When when scripture and John talks about, particularly when he talks about the Jews, remember it's not just he's saying everyone. He's particularly talking about the religious leaders that are part of this moral order that has fallen and broken, that is in constant rebellion against this ruler. So Jesus is saying, it's, it's set up this paradigm that there's a reign from above and reign from below. And the below, he is not saying you are below, you are from hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you are from this world. You are from this moral order that has fallen and broken. And I am not from that order I am from a different order. I'm from a different rule. I am from the realm of heaven, and you are from the realm of this world. In comparison, you can actually see all the different things of how he compares this in these verses. First of all, Jesus is from the realm above. The Jews and all of them are following, that are in this fallen order, are from the realm from below. Where he goes, he's going back to heaven. They cannot go. That's pretty hard. I want you to ask this question. How, how does he get there? How does he get to heaven? How does he get to his realm where he's from? I want you to hold on to that thought. God is his father when he's in this realm. Remember, they're both in the same physical place, by the way. Who is their father? Their father in John 8, 44, Jesus says, your father is the devil. You're in this broken moral order. Just think about that. When we are in sin, when we are broken and separated from God, our father is actually Satan. That is what Jesus says. In this realm, we believe, we trust, and we follow Jesus. He explicitly says, you don't believe in me. This is from the realm which you are. From the realm above, those people die in faith. And those from the realm below, they die in sin. They die in sin. I want you to hold on to that as well. I'm going to explain this a little bit more. Die in faith and die in sin. Ask this question, how does Jesus go? 
How does Jesus go to heaven? How does he get there where they cannot go? Hold on to that thought. How does the son primarily please the father? He dies on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate way in which he pleases the Father, in which he ultimately accomplishes the Father's will, that he dies on the cross for all of God's children. When Jesus refers to being with the Father in the realm of heaven, and he tells the Jews that they cannot come, where does he go? What is the way? You cannot go where I'm going. When he says that to him, you cannot do, what does he mean? He says, you can't go to the cross. You can't die on the cross like I do. Because the way for Jesus to the realm of heaven is the cross. Death in, is trust and faith. Jesus' death is trust and faith in the Father. In John 8, 28, we know explicitly that this is what he's talking about. So Jesus said to, them, said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. John three fourteen says, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here there's these explicit references of Jesus actually being lifted up, glorified, which we also know just as the cross is the place where Jesus pleases the Father, it's also where he is the most glorified, is at the cross. A, a physical lifting up, a look at him, but also a lifting up on the cross where he dies. A reference back, as we referred to before early in John, to that story in Numbers in the wilderness, when that when the Israel was disobedient, and God sent out serpents to bite them, and the, and the solution for them, that God says, the remedy to this is that I'll give Moses a serpent to put on a staff, and if you look up at that, if you lift up your eyes and look at that serpent, you will be saved. If you trust in this absurd remedy, you will be saved. So, so is the cross. If you trust in Jesus on this, you're having a tough time over there. <laughs> I think he's upset Theo left. I as him well. Jesus' way is death on the cross. That is the way. That is the way that Scripture makes it very clear. It's the, it's the avenue. It's the boulevard. It's the highway to heaven is death on the cross. The Bible speaks two ways of dying. This is what I alluded to earlier. He's to die in sin or to die in faith. I mean, that thing's a little hard. The reality is we will all die. You're either going to die in sin or you're going to die in faith. Now, that might be a hard reality to kind of sit in, but it's actually very helpful to begin to think, you are going to die. Am I going to die in sin or am I going to die in faith? The die in sin, John 8, 24. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is being very explicit. If you do not trust me, if you do not believe in me and who I am and what I will do, you will die in your fallen 
realm, order, and the way things are. We know this, we hear this in, in Romans, right? The penalty and curse of sin is death. And that all of us are fallen. All of us have fall short of the glory of God. All of us live in this realm. And so all of us deserve to die in our sin. We can't solve this problem. We don't even know the way to solve this problem. If we do not believe in Jesus, we will die in our sin. And then there's to die in faith. The Bible speaks to die in faith. Psalm 116. I encourage you, after the service, go look up Psalm 116. But I'm going to read one verse. Psalm 116, 15. Precious is the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. What? Like, this is precious in God's sight, that his saints die? You read the rest of the psalm, you'll begin to understand it a little bit in more. But the point is, you will die. But if you're in the Lord, and if you're a saint, meaning that you belong, that you're a child of God, precious it is because it is the way. It is the path to everlasting life. This is, this is the created order of the whole universe. We, we talked about this, I've talked about this before as the cruciform existence of the universe. That all things in the physical world are created and that they will die. Just you think about this, all, all things, right? A forest, a tree falls, it dies. What comes out of that dead tree? New things. That is the created order of things. Your very foundation of the universe, the stars and all those things, a star dies. What does it happen? It doesn't just go away. It creates something new. It's the created order of all things. And of course, at the center of all this everlasting, eternal life, how does it happen? God the Son dies for his children. It's the created order of all things. It is his way. The, realms, the way to the realm of the Father in heaven is through the cross, Jesus laying down his life. And then we get this language in the Gospels, this, this language of pick up your cross, following Jesus. In Luke 9, 24, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for, the sake will, for my sake will save it. And John 12, 32 Jesus says, and I, when, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the way to life. And his way is the cross. His way is laying down his life. And that is our way. Confused by all of what Jesus is saying, the Jews, as you might be as well, the religious leaders in the temple questioned Jesus further about his claim, particularly about his claim about who he is. Keep in mind that I think as we've described it, Jesus has been pretty heavy-handed about who he is, particularly in the context. It's not like he's obscuring this. He's been pretty heavy-handed that he is God, that he is the ruler of this universe. In John 8, 25, they say to him, who are you? Like, he's just repeated it over and over again in lots of different ways. And they ask, who are you? And what is Jesus' response? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I haven't been hiding this from you. 
I haven't been like pulling out, I got a big secret. I've been telling you clearly from the beginning who I am. In John 8, 24, just the verse before it, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believed that I am he. Hold on to that phrase. I am he. It says it again in, in, eight, in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Now, I, we've talked about this last week that the I am the light of the world. This is one of those seven I am statements and that, that I am is kind of this weird uh, phrase. It's this odd phrase and it's not how you would normally say it. It's this ego imi, which is this repeated I, I am. Like you just wouldn't speak that way and, and they wouldn't write that way. But here it's, it's written in this way and he, Jesus may be speaking that way. It's this a, a emphasis that points back to the, the introduction to God to Moses when he says, I am the great I am in Exodus 3.14. But it's actually more than that because there's actually extra phrases in the Exodus 13.14. But the, the I am, the I am present, it has a moral allusion to the suffering servant in Isaiah. This, this weird phrasing, I am he. And the I am he is the, actually the same phrasing as I am. You just wouldn't say that uh, I am at the bend. I am he is just the way we translate it in English in this spot instead of at the beginning of the sentence. But it's the same words. And it's directly connected to Isaiah's suffering servant words. There's six references in Isaiah 41.40. Listen to these references. And I don't know if you know the suffering servant in Isaiah is that he's the servant representing, as they thought, all of Israel. And of course, Christ takes over and represents Israel, as we understand in the New Testament. Christ replaces Israel in the prophecy. Isaiah 41.4, who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. I am. And even that word Lord there is that, is that covenant name Yahweh, the I am, the great I am. I am the great I am. I am the first. I am the last. I am he. I am that I am. That's what he's saying. Isaiah 43, 13. And this might be new to us, but for particularly the religious Jews, they would have heard, not known what these verses are. They would have known that unique phrasing because it's so odd. It's so unique. These verses would have been memorized for them. They would have understood clearly what he is referencing. Isaiah 43.10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed. No shall there be any after me. Think about right here, right here. The very thing in Isaiah 43, the I am is revealing himself. Believe in me. The very foundational thing that you need to do is trust. Believe. Verse 13 in Isaiah 43. And henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will not remember your sins. There it is. Clearly, the God is going to remove the transgressions, blot out your sins, forget your sins, and forgive them. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. These are all things that would have flooded their, their minds as he is saying this odd phrase. I am he. Quite clearly revealing who he is. I am the suffering servant. I am the God. I'm the God that saved you out of Egypt. I am, I am the God that promises to remove the transgressions from your sins. I am your Savior. I'm the beginning and I am the end. This is not something that Jesus hides. He's quite clear to everyone that he is Lord and he is their Savior. Come drink from me, and you will never thirst. I am your light. I am the light of this fallen world. I want you to hear the good news clearly today. Jesus is this eager servant, wanting to please his Father by listening to his Father's will. And what is the Father's will for the Son? The Father's will for the Son is to die for you and I. John 6, 38-40, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus knows this will because he's, the Father says, he's ever present with me. Wherever I go, he goes, and I always please him. Did you hear? Did you hear what is pleasing to the Lord? Jesus dying for his children. Jesus dying for the Father's children. Jesus laying down his life, not losing anything that God has given him, not losing any of the saints. Did you hear what's pleasing for you to please the Lord? Look to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Know that he is the I am he. John 8, 29 says, and he, sent, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The Father is always with the Son. You could say it the other way. The Son is always with the Father. The Father and Son are always present with us as well. The Father and Son are always 
present with you. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is that helper? The helper is quite clearly the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. He said, I will give you our same spirit, the Father and Son Spirit, he will give to us, to live in us, to reign in us, to begin to transform us. Are you looking to please the Father? How do you know that you're pleasing God? Don't wake up each day and be busy for him. Don't wake up each day and think, I know, I know what he wants. Don't go about your day thinking you know what will please God. He has given you his Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I know we're not always present with God, but he is always present with us. And the primary way in which he says to, to please him is this. Believe in me. Trust in me. He's given you the author of, the, of this scripture. The Holy Spirit is the author of these scriptures. You can know, you can be spend time with him and actually know what is pleasing to him. This, the author that he's given you will actually help you understand it. But the foundational thing, it says to believe, me, to believe in him, believe in Jesus. And here's, I, I want to be quite clearly, I don't want to be trite with this. Believe in Jesus. It's so simple. Believing in Jesus every day is not a simple thing. Trusting in the Lord for everything in your life is not a simple thing at all. I mean, it's a simple concept, but it is incredibly hard day in and day out, moment by moment, to actually do this. Why is this hard for us? Because we got one foot in this fallen, broken world, don't we? in this, this realm in which it is a fallen moral oral, which is constantly in rebellion against our Father. I mean, he's pulling us out. He's pulling us out. But believing him is not an easy thing. It's not just a simple thing to do. Those last couple of weeks for me have been really difficult to believe in every little moment. I mean, I believe in Jesus. Some of you know, may have known what's going on. I'm going to tell you what's been going on. So, uh, you know, I got COVID. I was doing fine. I recovered. Uh, I have asthma and I have other things. So I went to the doctor to get cleared up, get me some prednisone to clear up my chest. Uh, and so they did a chest x-ray, which led to a CAT scan, which led to, hey, there's something on your CAT scan. You need a PET scan. And he goes on to explain what those things might be. I'm not going to say them because I don't want to say it. So... I got the pay. so I so you sit there from all those moments and thinking and my doctor is moving incredibly fast for me. I got the PET scan, I got the results uh, already. But in the midst of this, when you get the CAT scan, when he tells you what he's they're looking for, and why they're doing a PET scan, it is hard each and every moment. I struggled each and even though intellectually I knew, man, it's probably not. And even if it is. There's nothing I can do 
but trust in him. But every little moment, my mind would wander into these crazy thoughts. And I would literally sit there, because most of the time I was by myself, and say, shut up! And try to re-engage. I know I need to trust. I know I need to die in faith, because I will die. I need to trust that whatever he has for me, that is what he has for me. And that I need to be faithful and trust him. But you know, like I know, particularly this last week, that is incredibly hard. It's why we gather together as a community, to help each other in this. Not to give us this, to these, these trite and simple response, oh, you just need to believe more. Well, yeah, I've been trying to believe more. Thanks. Walk with me in this, would you? Here's the end result. Got the PET scan. Thursday, you can talk to me about that experience. Really weird, but bottom line, I thought I was an astronaut for a moment. Um, I got it. The results are good. They don't think it's malignant. I still have this nodule in my lung that they're going to send me to more. I have more scans in my future, but they think it will go away. It's, but they don't think it's malignant. Oh, that's a nice relief off my shoulder. But it still was a burdensome week. Of thing. And it wasn't more Bruce and more of that is because I couldn't control my thoughts. We can't control our heart and minds, can we? But we have a Savior, a God who gives us this Holy Spirit who begins to transform us. The way is to die in faith, which means we actually live in each moment in faith, which is really hard, and God knows it's really hard, and he's going to work in us with that. The encouragement for us is, is to believe. Struggle in that belief each and every day and live in that realm of heaven. Flee from the tyranny of sin and those oppressive thoughts. Flee from, the de- from dying in sin because we will die. Do you want to die in sin or do you want to die in faith? God's drawing us to faith. Today, today, in this moment, Fight for belief. Fight for trusting in Jesus. Fight for dying in faith and and understand and know who Jesus is. He's quite clear about it. He's not obscuring it. Know and trust what Jesus has done for you. And understand the Holy Spirit is with you in every moment. He will not leave you. He will not leave you. He is present. Believe. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I know we all struggle at times with you. We struggle with the reality that is before us and things that are happening to us in our circumstances. We struggle with our thoughts. I believe. Help me with our help me with my unbelief. We believe, Lord, help us with our unbelief. We know your spirit is present, Lord. When we struggle, when we wander, reveal your spirit to us. Draw us back. Whatever means. Whatever it takes. Help us to follow your way.
and to die in faith so that we can live forever with you and for you. In this, in this act of belief, in this struggle, fighting each and every day for belief, we know this is pleasing to you. We love you, Lord. Help us with our love. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.